Hello, and welcome to She Dynasty. I'm Valerie Moisel, and these are the women who rule. Before I get started, I want to remind everyone that you can find us on Instagram at she underscore dynasty. It's a great place to be updated with new episodes that come out. Also, we have giveaways, daily inspiration, and so much other uh, content that will really resonate with everyone who's listening. I hope you've also had a chance to listen to my last episode, which was a personal love story and essay that I wrote and put out on the podcast. If you've ever had your heart broken, it will really resonate with you. It was a life-changing story that really helped define a big part of my future and who I am today. You can also learn about our She Will Overcome essay challenge, uh, where you can submit an essay that you've written about a personal snag that you have overcome in your life. So I hope you'll check it out. Today, I will be sitting down with Sally Christensen, the founder of the women's clothing and workwear brand Argent. Sally and her brand have dressed a lot of very famous names like Hillary Clinton, Ariana Huffington, and presidential candidate Kamala Harris, just to name a few. When I was doing research on the brand, I came across their website, and I want to read you a little excerpt that I found that really resonated with me. It said, Through confident clothes and inspiring community, we're creating a movement that's all about self-expression in and out of the workplace. Versatility as a power move and radical equality when it comes to paychecks, pockets, and everything else. As soon as I read that, I thought, wow, this is really a brand that I could get behind. She's giving so much passion and meaning to a simple thing that women do every day. You know, feeling good when you go to work is so, so important. Sally's gonna be here in a few minutes. I'm really excited to hear all about her and her company. Hi, Sally. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me. So super excited to talk to you. Um, as I just read an excerpt from your website, and I was really touched when I read it because, you know, there's so many clothing brands out there that are started for, you know, different reasons, some for fashion and others just because people are really talented. But you have a true purpose and mission behind this that is so, so meaningful. So um, tell us really quickly, very top line, um, you know, why did you start this company? Sure. Yeah, I get a little long winded because obviously it's my everything. So uh, my background is in business and I've always been frustrated by the fact that no one's made workwear easy or straightforward. So this was certainly born from a personal pain point, but I didn't know that I'd actually start it. I The catalyst for pursuing this was uh, based on a study that I read when I was working at Cisco in 2014, and it showed that women are judged based on appearance. Right. And for the first time, they quantify the impact of what you wear on your bottom line over your lifetime. It's incredibly significant. And so I read that and quit my job. I saw an opportunity to solve a problem that I'd experienced personally and really redefine what workwear looked like. Um, But at the same time, I felt like there was this massive void uh, around any sort of brand talking to the working woman or inspiring her and giving her the tools that she needed to navigate her career. And I felt like you know, brand's the most powerful thing on the planet. So let's build one that really helps women and give them confidence and at every touch point. 
I love it so much. So we're going to get into um, your company and your brand. But before we do that, we want to hear a little bit about your background, how you got here, what you know led you to this amazing place that you're in. So tell us a little bit about your parents and your childhood. Are they from this country? Are they born here? Uh, my mom was born here. My dad is from Turkey. Okay. So, so he's an immigrant. Tell me, where were you born? Uh, Hardyville, South Carolina. Okay. And your parents met where? In Turkey. Okay. Yeah, my mom was studying abroad in her 20s. Um, my dad saw her and it was love at first sight and asked her out and she was like, no, I'm, I'm good. And then they kept running into each other, which it was in Istanbul, Turkey, which is a massive country and it just felt like fate. And so she eventually moved to Turkey for a while and then they both moved back here. Right. So Turkey is a Middle Eastern country. Um, my father's also from a Middle Eastern country. And he had some preconceived um, notions of like what a woman should be and do when they grew up. Did you um, deal with any of that from your dad? Oh, man, my dad's amazing. I, di- I don't know that I did. I think uh, slightly conservative, maybe socially speaking. So uh, I didn't drink growing up. I still I don't drink. But he never gave, put any limitations on you of what you could do. Not what you would expect at all. No, he's very open-minded and progressive. I love that. My dad just wanted me to grow up and get married. So. Oh, yeah. No, I didn't get that. Kudos to your dad for that. <laughs> awesome. I also read that you um, have been selling things for as long as you can remember, which is something that super like resonated with me because I was also that kid that would sell everything um, I could find. And one of my funniest stories that my dad loves to tell is I would go into my kitchen and I would get a, a loaf of Wonder Bread and I would go outside and set up a stand and I would put up a sign that said fresh baked bread and I would sell each slide individually just because I love the thrill of selling something. Yeah. And, you know, everybody who would walk up to me clearly knew that there was, uh, that it was Wonder Bread because I literally had a trash can right next to it with the wrapper in it. And everybody would like, you know, snicker and be, thought it was so cute. We would have been such good friends. (laughs) Tell me what kinds of things that you sell as a child. Well, now that you tell that story, my lemonade stand was definitely store-bought lemonade, you know, (laughs) Minute Maid going straight into like the pitcher. Um, So, I mean, everything. Uh, We, I made, I made a lot of what I sold. So I made homemade piggy banks that I used to paint myself. And uh, I would make horseshoe picture frames. I grew up on a farm, so maybe that explains that one. I mean, literally everything. What kind of farm did you grow up on? A tree. Oh, interesting. What kind of trees? South Carolina. Uh, pine trees. Interesting. Okay. My great-grandparents lived there, my grandparents and my parents, and I grew up there. Is the farm still in the family? It is. Oh, I love that. Okay, so tell us, what was your very, very uh, first job? I worked in Chicago, Illinois. So I graduated from undergrad with a business degree and just picked up and moved to Chicago. I didn't know anyone there. I didn't have a job. And it was in 2007 and we were nearing a recession. I luckily got hired at First American Bank in their private banking division. Uh-huh. Um, and I spent a couple of years there knowing that I wanted to go back and get my MBA, but it was a really cool time to be in banking. Mm-hmm. It was a cool time to just be in the workforce. Um, what was the dream job when you were kind of growing up? What did you think you wanted to do? An entrepreneur. An entrepreneur. So you knew you wanted to start a business. For sure. Interesting. So right out of college, though, um, you felt like the path was just to first go work for somebody else to learn? Yeah. So knowing myself, I knew that I needed real world experience. Mm -hmm. So that's what I went out and got. And I don't think I put too much pressure on myself because I expected that I'd go back and get my MBA. So the banking role is a perfect one, honestly. 
Right. So you worked for a bank, and um, around that time, the recession hit, right? So was that a snag in your career at all, or how did that affect you? I mean, honestly, like I was, what, 22 or something. It was more of a learning than anything. I feel like it shaped how I look at employment and careers and um, makes you just a little bit more appreciative. Do you think that your experience working in a bank um, carried forward to what you're doing today? For sure. Also, at the time, and probably still, the uh, the world of finance is very, very male-dominated. So um, tell us a little bit about your experience there. Were there a lot of women working with you? Any others that you could look up to or anybody who mentored you at the time? I was actually excluded from consideration for some jobs for being female. It was a very male-dominated workplace. Really? Uh, yes. I mean, it was entirely male, not a lot of senior females. Well, I'm sure things have changed since then. Okay, so after that, you went to grad school at the University of South Carolina, got your MBA with a focus on supply chain. Mm -hmm. So nobody at my office knew what that meant. What does it mean to be in supply chain? Really? Yeah, we didn't know. Oh, man, my husband makes fun of me. Anytime anyone asks me to explain supply chain, I talk for too long. Uh, So supply chain and operations go hand in hand. It's oftentimes referred to as the plumbing or the guts of your business. It's how the organization runs uh, for it's anywhere from supplier relationships, demand planning, supply planning, resource management. I mean, it's kind of everything, to be honest. I didn't even realize that there was a, a focus on that. And then I was wondering, does my business need a supply chain? <laughs> I'm in the service business, so maybe not as much. So then you um, had a shift and you moved to Germany for a year. Yeah. Well, yeah, that was part of the MBA program. So I did an international MBA program. Uh, because I knew that as part of that, I could live abroad. Nice. And I uh, lived in Germany. I'd been, I've studied German since I was 14 years old. I lived in Germany and worked at Daimler, which was awesome. Do you speak German? I do. Speak fluently? I do. I love that. All right. So then soon after you got married, met your husband? Uh, we met right when I moved to Chicago. We got married in 2012. Great. And is he a part of your company or does he do something totally different? He is. He just left Apple to join. Oh, wow. So what is his role in the company? Um, He leads marketing. Beautiful. (laughs) And how is it working with him? Uh, It's great. It's uh, great and not great, you know? (laughs) It has its moments, I'm sure. Yeah. Some things are easier and some things are harder. I mean, he's been involved with the company since before, like since it was the smallest of ideas. So in so many ways, he comes in with knowledge that no one else could possibly have. And he's seen every single stage of the journey. And so... Yeah, it works out. Great. All right. So then tell us, um, you shifted over to Cisco, as you mentioned earlier. Tell us a little bit about what you did there. Yeah. So I got hired into the leadership rotational program at Cisco within their supply chain organization. So it's essentially a crash course in supply chain. I spent six months in each major function of supply chain. So got to work on really incredible projects and basically get firsthand experience um, with demand and supply planning, product management, um, product operations, uh, manufacturing operations. Yeah, it was it was awesome. So I worked on a joint venture that we did with a state-owned enterprise in China. Mm-hmm. And then I got pulled into the cloud team, which was at the time seven people. Grew to 250 people in oh a year. Oh my gosh, wow. It was crazy. Uh, I think Cisco put a couple billion into it. And I just a couple billion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish we had that at Argent. Um, so I got to build, define, and manage our customer advocacy team. So essentially assisting 
our our clients, our customers with optimally deploying like their applications in our cloud environment. Very different from where I obviously ended up. Yes, very different. <laughs> so it was your time when you were at Cisco where you um, mentioned earlier that you read that article that gave you the spark to start Argent. So before we talk about the article, tell us what is the um, Argent elevator pitch now? <laughs> in, a se- in a few sentences, how would you explain your company? Argent's redefining workwear by introducing style, irreverence, and unapologetic attitude and really intended to give women whatever they need to optimally navigate their career. Perfect. And remind me again what the article said, the stat that you read. Oh, yeah. Just uh, it showed that women are judged based on appearance, like that it affects your bottom line to the tune of 20 to 40 percent over your lifetime. So essentially what you wear could hold you back from getting a promotion. And the second you're held back, it just sort of compounds on itself. So what is the psychology behind this and why does it matter so much for women? It's so hard to answer that. I think uh, my approach to this is that awareness of everything as much as possible in the workplace is really important, especially for women, because there are so many obstacles that are unspoken uh, that you have to figure out and figure out how to navigate uh, if you want to achieve certain levels. Uh, And if you want to honestly, like make the playing field even for yourself, because it's not. So I don't know that I can answer the scientific side of things. But I think we all do know that what you wear is sort of a personal extension of yourself. Of course. Um, the pos- so it's important to make good decisions when you're choosing what to wear to an interview. For sure. I have to confess, I interview a lot of women. I obviously notice what they wear. I'm not yeah. gonna, I'd be lying if I told you I didn't. Um, it was interesting because I had an assistant a while back who um, came in for an interview. And at the time, I was interviewing multiple people for the uh, job. And this one woman came in, and she was extremely disheveled. And just her hair wasn't brushed, and her she just was um, not put together the way that I was used to when somebody would come and interview for an executive assistant position. And she sat down, and I immediately you know, formed a judgment, like, ugh, this girl does not have it together. And she started to talk, and immediately I was like, wow, she's so smart. And I was kind of blown away by how smart she was. So um, as soon as she left, I met with head of HR and we discussed the fact that, you know, she wasn't quite as put together, but I couldn't get past how, you know, eloquent and smart she was. And so we decided to give her a chance. But it was definitely an obstacle that I had to kind of overcome and like talk through. And so I hope everyone listening understands like it does make a difference, like, you know, to put yourself together because all I kept thinking was like, wow, she she seems unorganized. Is this how she's going to represent my company or me? And so, you know, those choices do make a difference. Yeah, so much of our opinions of people are shaped based on the unspoken. And so I forget what the breakdown is, but a lot of it is just in body language and in appearance. Very little of it is by what you actually say. Right. So again, I just think it's important that you know those things and arm yourself with information as much as possible and then use that, you know, however you see fit. Absolutely. Okay. So you're at Cisco, you read this stat, it like blows your mind. You have this big spark of this idea that you want to do. So how do you go from like working in a company to like starting a clothing brand? I quit cold turkey. <laughs> like that day? <laughs> Pretty much. Wow. You Shortly were that thereafter. inspired. Yeah. Well, I knew I always wanted to start a company. My career t- path was pretty intentional working towards that. And so this, I think, gave me the encouragement and the vision that I needed to just go out and do that. And I think I approached it 
with the mindset that what do I have to lose? You know, it's worst case scenario, I re-enter the workforce. So I just, I sort right. of. How old were you at the time? 28, 29. It's a good time to do that. Exactly. I, it just, it felt like, it felt very low risk to me. And did you have money saved? Did you, so you kind of planned for it, like were prepared to quit? Yes. Yeah. I saved up some money just to get it off the ground. Um, and I put in my notice in November, December, and ended up leaving Cisco in February. So it was a really smooth and amicable exit. Cisco was super supportive. They actually kept me on for a year if I wanted to come back and if it fell through, which just speaks volumes, I think, in terms of like who they are as a company. Yeah, amazing. And so why the name Argent? My great-grandfather started Argent Lumber Company in the early 1900s. Oh, I love that. And so just kept coming back to it, had like, Naming a company is maybe the hardest thing you could ever do. The and hardest thing ever. <laughs> we just, we had so many ideas and just kept coming back to Argent. It just meant, meant something to me. Mm-hmm. So. And did the mission of the company, um, was it always there from the very, very beginning or did it evolve as you started to do research and form the company? There from day one. So you knew exactly what you were setting out to do. Mm-hmm. I love that. All right. So I'm always uh, really interested when I speak to entrepreneurs. You have this idea. Um, you quit your job. How do you take an I- something from an idea in your head to something that's tangible? Give me a few of the like initial steps that you have to take. Yeah, I get asked this all the time. I I started with information gathering. So it was about scheduling meetings with anyone that would make time for me. Uh, one of the first things that I did was just try and instill a little bit of structure to force myself to move things forward. And to do that, I scheduled monthly meetings with uh, individuals that I established as advisors really early on, not like formally or anything, but um, just- Like mentors? Mentors that were, yeah, in my network in some capacity. I approached with the concept that I had. I asked them if I could meet with them every month. And eventually a lot of them became investors. Oh, nice. Um, But it was good for me because it forced me to show progress every time I connected with them. Because at first you were on your own. You didn't have like a staff of people. You were one person probably working out of your house. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I was working for my house. I printed out a business plan, just template. I read through it. I had multiple like working sessions with myself and then with like trusted friends Mm -hmm. from business school and kind of mentally mapped out what felt like the priorities and just started kind of tackling things. So market research was really important early on, conducted a 54 question survey across the sample size of 400 people uh, and just gleaned as much insight as I could from this customer base, uh, looked at the market size, looked at census data, really, really tried to inform what we were launching and, and tried to be as smart as possible with, you know, how we went about it and, and ensured that we armed ourselves for success. Right. So a lot of data kind of drove um, the decisions that you made. How important was um, creating a business plan and how closely did you stick to it? Uh, yeah, I think more than business plan or a component of the business plan that's the most important is the financial model. Mm-hmm. So I ended up building God, that first deck is so bad it's like stick figures in it but i built a deck and then just was honing that over time and it was i mean we stuck to it, it was pretty it was pretty much a template for what we were building um, but the financial model is is everything in my opinion because it shows how much money you plan on spending how much it's going to cost how much you need to raise uh, how much revenue you're you know anticipating making um, and, and it, did you know how to do all of that or somebody helped you with it? That was the hardest skill set for me to find. I ended up building it myself. So that's where the background in finance and in banking really paid off. I love them when prior experiences kind of 
pay forward to what you're doing today. Totally. And I wouldn't trade it for the world. It was really hard and I would spend like days and weeks in the model, but I think it allowed me to be a really successful leader and entrepreneur. Right. So a business plan is almost like your roadmap. Um, So if you look back at that initial um, business plan, did you stick pretty closely to it? Did, Did it alter as you were kind of learning new things or how did that pan out? Yeah, for the most part, I would say that the go-to-market strategy was pretty, I mean, it's pretty much where what we ended up doing. From a product perspective, there was certainly a big learning when we launched, uh, which was essentially that women have a huge appetite for color. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think that we evolved product um, over time. But in general, I think we had the bones of, of what we were building pretty early on and had a pretty clear vision of of what future Argent looked like. It hasn't changed much since day one. Yeah, when I went on your website, I noticed color was a huge part of your story and it was very, very refreshing because a lot of you know workwear doesn't tend to do that. So f- even from that perspective, it felt so fresh. Thank you. So when you started the company, what kind of people did you expect to buy your clothes? Who, who, how would you have described that woman? Where did she work? What did she do? Everyone, everyone was going to buy it. All my friends, all my parents' friends, anyone who. So it ever... wasn't just for um, women who worked in corporate environments. No, I think I had it defined, but I think I, you know, every entrepreneur is a bit naive going into launch, thinking that every single person is going to show up with their wallet open, and that's not the case. I mean, you talk to any entrepreneur, and it's just such a, you know, like it falls a little bit flat. Um, but in general, I define it as the working woman, uh, a woman in the prime of her career, who's ambitious, who's time strapped, who, um, wants to look great and wants to kind of be just told what to do, um, and is willing to take risks both with her career and with her fashion choices. Um, so I think in general, like that's kind of how we shaped our view of the consumer. We were really fortunate day one, uh, of business. We went to a women's conference. And we popped up there and we sold and just learned so much from doing that. And it honestly just proved product market fit more than anything. Right. So I also read that you have a lot of um, women in politics who are wearing your brand. Was that something that was intentional or it just kind of happened? We are fortunate to have women wearing Arjun across all industries. So I think that it just highlights how underserved this market is, the working woman is like entirely underserved and it's across politics it's across tech and hollywood and finance like truly we've dressed incredible women from a diverse set of backgrounds uh so i'm not surprised that women in politics have really gravitated to argent women in law women in consulting and and women in hollywood like it just feels like we have tapped into something that um i think from a brand perspective and a product perspective speaks to women of various backgrounds it's a perfect brand where you can feel professional and still stylish at the same time that was kind of my takeaway from it yeah so i understand that hillary clinton um wore your clothes which is a really big deal um did you know that was happening or were you surprised did you like turn on the television and she was all of a sudden wearing argent or how did that happen (laughs) uh so we have been fortunate to have her as one of our most devoted fans um, to this day, she wears Argent. She, it was a surprise because you never know. Um, but we, I, I had a chance to meet her back in 2017 in a photo line, and it was her first public appearance post-election. And it was really obvious that she intended to use her platform for women and the women's movement to do whatever she could to empower women. Um, but I got up there and just held open my jacket to show off the functional details of our pieces. Um, and you know, on the exterior, you can see just the fashionable 
elements of it. And so she sort of looked at it and her jaw dropped, which is a reaction we get from all women. So it's just special coming from her, who's a self-proclaimed pantsuit aficionado. Yes, she is. <laughs> um, and she, we ended up having a conversation um, and her, she ended up ordering. And at that point, you don't know if it's going to happen or not. And the first time she wore it was to the uh, Planned Parenthood celebrating their 100th anniversary. And she was honored as the champion of the century. It's amazing. Um, so, so you didn't know that she was going to wear it. You just no. kind of were told or somebody called you and said she's wearing our stuff. Someone sent me a picture. She was standing in a picture on Instagram with Chelsea Handler. It was like just a, some random person's photo. And it was awesome. So tell me, what are some of the personal pain points you feel um, Argent solves as a brand for a woman? I think that a lot of women can relate to the concept of showing up to a really important meeting and being in your head about what you're wearing and questioning whether or not it was the right decision, if it's the right outfit, if you look okay, which is crazy. Like I've been there and it's just so unacceptable to me. And so I think one of the things that we're really giving women is confidence going into really big presentations or interviews or what have you. Mm-hmm. I think that's one. Two is streamlining your day-to-day. And so we have really started with the consumer and our design process. And it's all about solving for your day-to-day needs. Everyone has heard the complaint of women's clothing doesn't get pockets. And so I think that's the most fundamental example of what we're solving. But I mean, we have things like a jumpsuit that has a back tuck. You don't have to remove the whole thing to use the restroom, making it quicker to go. Oh, thank God. (laughs) We were just having this conversation at the office the other day because everyone's wearing these jumpsuits and they're such a pain in the neck. So I need to look into some of those. So that's one. Uh, The interior of our blazers have pockets for your credit cards, your ID, your pens, uh, phone. The reason that I felt so strongly about that is because when I was at Cisco, I so vividly remember an experience of having our team in town from China, the boss in town from China, and we all had a meeting and then headed to lunch from the meeting and uh-huh. all of the women went back to their desks to grab their purses and then met everyone at lunch. And so they missed really valuable conversation from meeting, walking to lunch. And then they got like, we all got the shaft in terms of seating. And so the boss sat near the center of the table, all the men congregated around him and all the women were sort of on the fringes. Right. And so uh, how do we, how do we streamline like women's experience such that they don't have to go back and check back into their desk and like miss really valuable networking opportunities. This one comes from uh, customer feedback, and it's one of my favorites. We have um, introduced a microfiber pocket in the exterior of our blazers um, that's purpose is to clean your glasses. Oh, my gosh. Wow. You really are thinking <laughs> of everything. So, uh, yeah, and every season we are just constantly iterating on product and trying to improve the experience of how you feel how it fits, what it does for you, um, making sure that the pro- it's like more than just clothing. I love all those details. I think the details are, are obviously what's making a difference. Uh, my staff and I were also talking about how much effort we put into an important meeting. Just a few weeks ago, a few of us flew to New York. Um, there was three women. And we had a pitch, a big pitch. I think we put as much time into what we were going to wear to that yep. meeting as we did into the work. Yes. Um, we were just so worried about how we were going to be perceived and, you know, were we going to be stylish enough and did they think we were going to be a good fit for their brand? I mean, we really obsessed over it. We were sending each other texts and everybody was like, no, that outfit's too dark and this one's too serious. And, you know, I think we, each of us went through seven options before we all kind of locked and loaded on our, our three 
key outfits. We went with one gentleman. We didn't hear anything about his clothing. (laughs) So he just showed up. And of course, you know, I don't think it was as big of a deal for him, which is hilarious. But um, it was really an interesting process. So I really like I'm hearing you and how important this is. And I don't even think really people realize how much we put into this. Every woman experiences this. I remember so many times, very last minute going to department stores or boutiques and just trying to find any outfit for a big event, big conference, big presentation. I think that's the number one thing we're solving is providing a one-stop shop for all of your needs. And all the pieces are really versatile so you can make them your own and you're not going to look like everyone else. Like it's really intended to solve um, whatever your needs are for your particular workplace. And if you're wearing denim to work, all of our pieces work back to denim. And if you're in need of, you know, a fully like conservative look we have that and if you want to express yourself with some color we can do that as well but um, our goal is really to save to save you time and to give you confidence and I mean I think the thing that we hear back from customers that keeps us going is I felt awesome during my presentation thanks to you I got a raise thanks to you I got a promotion thanks to you oh my gosh and like it's not thanks to us but um that's really the impact that wearing the right thing can can do for you I listen I can't agree more when you feel confident in a meeting when you feel like you look good you feel like a million bucks it makes all the difference in how you perform um how you resonate with people i think it is so so important so it is kind of you know thanks to you in a sense because when you feel good you do good and the world reinforces it like women will wear our stuff and be like yeah i got stopped on the street by strangers i got a million compliments at work like i just felt awesome you know and i think that that's so cool that we're able to do that for women because all women should feel awesome because they're awesome. That must be a good feeling. Um, I also read on your Instagram, you posted a crazy statistic that 65% of bosses say that clothes worn during an interview can be the deciding factor between two similar candidates. So do you have any interview outfit recommendations like do's and don'ts? Yeah, I think this applies to both interviews and to uh, how you dress for a job. Uh, Understanding what the dress code is at that particular workplace is really important. I'll use Facebook as an example. If you show up in a full suit to interview at Facebook, you're not going to get the job. So I always start with research in terms of what's expected at the company and what people are actually wearing. And you generally want to up-level that a step. If you're feeling like really in a pinch, there are companies like ours and there are experts and stylists that are there to help you feel at your best. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing. You offer that as a service? Yeah, we have women reach out and we... I love that. I didn't even realize that you did that. For sure. Whatever you... Truly whatever you need. We're very high touch if needed. Oh my gosh. So I think that's important because I do have people who show up um, for interviews that are not dressed at all in a way that matches the culture of my agency. And so I think for those listening, it's a really good point. Like if mm-hmm. you're going on an interview or you want to work somewhere... You got to do a little research on, you know, kind of what is culturally acceptable there and make sure kind of you know it because there's nothing worse than showing up and you're, you know, not dressed the part. Completely. And oftentimes there's an HR partner that's, you know, their purpose is to make sure that you are prepared and you show up 
So don't be scared to ask the question. Totally. Great advice. So I read the Fast Company article um, that you link on your site called The Outrageous, Deeply Sexist History of the Pantsuit. Mm -hmm. And for my listeners, um, I'll link this in the show notes. It talks about the fact that Hillary Clinton is known for pantsuits, and she faced a lot of criticism for her outfit choices. But, you know, someone like Donald Trump, her male opponent, didn't face the same. Tell us your thoughts on this. Yeah, so I... I have so many thoughts on this. I think that an issue that we face uh, is that we've seen men at the top levels, you know, of all jobs and all industries. And uh, the presidency, I think, is, you know, the highest office. And right. we have now seen 45 presidents. And we think we know what that looks like. And with the exception of Barack Obama, that's a white male that wears a really dull suit, you know. And so I think that Hillary Clinton and... Some of the female candidates that are running for, you know, going after the Democratic bid in 2020, um, they ha- face a lot of challenges in that they're deemed not electable because they don't look presidential. Unfortunately, they are scrutinized on a whole other level compared compared to their male counterparts, and they have to think about their outfit choices, and it really feels like they can't get it right. And I think that like. It's the best example of why Arjun exists mm-hmm. um, because I am of the mindset that if you take ownership of what you're wearing and you have full confidence in what you're wearing, you actually can use it to your advantage. And I think Hillary Clinton has started to do that. And she started to, especially recently, like she started to show up and really own her outfit choices. She kind of always has, to be honest. She's actually very stylish if you look at her historically. And I think that we are in a new wave of women in the workplace and women really owning their appearance and being really outspoken about what they deserve. And so I think that she is kind of setting the example for politicians and women at large um, by continuing to be out there and just kind of ignoring the naysayers, if you will, um, or taking them head on. Yep. All right. So I noticed a lot of your pieces um, feel like classics. How are you affected by runway trends? Are you at all? So the thing that we really pride ourselves on is offering women pieces that are intended to be in their closet for a decade, if not longer. Um, They're unique and they're seasonless and they're versatile. So in terms of runway trends, I think there are are some things that we've done from a trend perspective, not necessarily looking at the runways, but looking at what's happening with like color and how people are expressing themselves. And so you are affected by some trends. Slightly. And those end up being our like smaller buys, Mm -hmm. if you will. Mm Mm-hmm. Not really, though. Okay. I mean, we kind of do what but our you customer do, wants. But you do kind of – I love the fact that you mentioned that your the clothes are meant to kind of last for a decade because right now we're kind of in this world of, like, disposable clothing and things are supposed to last for a very short period of time. And, you know, sometimes you end up spending more money because, you know, every few weeks you're buying something new as opposed to buying something that is really a classic quality piece that you can wear over and over again and mix and match with different things. So I think that's um, really important. You know, brand for me – um, that has done that for me up until now has been J. Crew. Mm. I always go to them when I just need like a classic blazer or a classic shirt. So it seems like you're kind of like on par with that. It never feels too trendy. So I love that. I mean, obviously you're taking it up a, a, a notch from what they're doing, but definitely kind of in line with the thinking there. Yeah, I think the customer that they used to attract is one that we're yes agree the one that they they've Uh shifted a bit but i agree there Mm -hmm. was a time where they were kind of um maybe in the space more than others okay so a snag so 
Pretty soon after um, you started Argent, you hit a snag when you were put on bed rest during your first trimester of um, your pregnancy with your first child. I understand you're pregnant again. We're allowed to talk about that. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. (laughs) Um, So how in hell did you um, run a startup from, you know, from being on bed rest? (laughs) Yeah, that was in 2017. Uh, We launched in 2016. In a startup, you're always kind of graduating to different phases. And this was a really important one for us. We yeah, were imagine. hitting, you know, revenue numbers that we'd never hit before, um, encountering different challenges than we'd historically had. And uh, it was a pretty intense period. And it was the fall, which is, those are our biggest months. And so I feel so fortunate because I had a team to fall back on that really stepped up and was able to cover in a lot of ways. Um, but I was also just sort of starting to fundraise and starting to think about fundraising. And um, I kind of had to pivot my approach towards that. Mm-hmm. I slowed down. Lots of phone calls. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> lots of phone calls. <laughs> um, I mean, I couldn't even walk. It was awful. Um, so How not, many months were you on bed rest? My first trimester. Oh, wow. So it was uh, it was challenging, but it wasn't. I think it just allowed me to see how good our team was and, and forced me to delegate more than I normally would. So you were still working from bed rest. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm never not working. Yeah, so delegating to your team is really what kind of pulled you through there. So you mentioned um, fundraising. Mm-hmm. So who did you reach out to first? Was it more angel investors in the beginning or um, friends and family? Or how did you go about that? So I never did a friends and family round. To launch Argent, um, I raised through angels. Uh, we raised under a $1.5 million convertible note. And uh, it was rolling. So you can close a check and you can start. You can spend it right away. Um, so it allows a lot of flexibility. Um, but also a lot of pressure because if you are raising and spending, like there, it's just yeah. It for the, can be for those brutal. people listening who don't really understand what it means to go find an angel investor, how do you find an angel investor? Networking. I my approach was a bit unique. I wanted individuals that represented different disciplines within, like within retail or in marketing or in retail or in operations or finance. Like I just wanted subject matter experts. Mm -hmm. So I went after some individuals that weren't actually known to be angel investors. Uh, And then I also went after individuals that were quite famous angel investors. Uh, And so got a lot of no's, but, um, and then one, one person can lead to so many other people. And so it's about, getting one person in and then asking them to make, you know, 10 other introductions. I think that angel investment has gotten a little bit easier because more people have gotten in the game since I was raising. This was in 2015, 2016. Um, So how many people were in that pool? 20 maybe. Oh, wow. Do you think it was harder to find investors um, because you were a female-focused company? Tell me why. (laughs) Yes, that was a quick yes. (laughs) Uh, Because I'm female, because it's female-focused, and because predominantly have male investors. Uh, like they just didn't get it d- at all. I mean, we had one really, really reputable VC respond with "utility doesn't belong in women's clothing." Period. Oh wow! Which is like amazing because that's the reason Arjun exists. Because for so long, fashion has ignored women, like in what their demands are and what they want out of clothing, and there's no dialogue that's happening between retailers that are predominantly run by men and their consumer. And so I think that this investor just honestly like proved our thesis, you know, 
Um, but Did I, you ever doubt yourself when you would hear feedback like that? Like, oh, is this a good idea? Maybe I'm wasting my time. Not that keep, one. How do you keep your confidence up, though, when people kind of knock you down like that? Oh, I've had so many moments of troughing where, you know, you just spend weeks at a time in, like, these terrible depressions. But there are – there's the silver lining of – since we've launched, it's much easier because you just turn and look to your customers for that support and that lift. Yes. Pre-launch, it's a little bit harder because you're just so vulnerable and people don't realize that. And they say just the worst things. And so I think you have to like be... This, this idea doesn't make sense or you're you, wasting your time. You won't build it. No market there. Um, this exists already. I can't, I don't even understand what you're like, what the difference is between what you're saying, what exists. Gosh, it's um, such a skill to not let that get to your head, you know, to be able to carry on. So kudos to you. For that. <laughs> Thank you. Kudos to all entrepreneurs, honestly. Yeah, yeah really. they get really beat up. <laughs> we do. We definitely do. So tell us about um, your marketing. You're um, mostly an online brand, correct? Mm -hmm. Do you have any brick and mortar stores or is there plans to do that? And how, what is your feeling on online versus brick and mortar? Yeah, so offline has actually been a big part of our strategy since day one. We recognized that acquiring this customer really required being with her in person and giving her the opportunity to try and touch and see and like just experience the clothes and the product. We've had pop-ups since very early on. Uh, we're also obviously online. We work with women who aren't in major markets and send them boxes if that's something that they desire. But right now we have a pop-up in San Francisco, New York, and D.C., and then a showroom in L.A. Got it. So they're pop-up stores. Mm -hmm. So how do people find out about them? Word of mouth primarily, I would say. We don't do a lot of advertising still. Um, we've really relied on word of mouth. The product's so strong. I mean, I spoke to this earlier, but when women wear the clothing, they get stopped and complimented so often that they're going to tell people about it. And that's where our traffic comes from. I love it. So um, tell us a little bit about your marketing plan. I know your husband's kind of overseeing that. So obviously you're doing some digital advertising, but um, from a top line, like what is the strategy? Yeah, we do a little digital advertising. We're fortunate in that I feel like we've really launched something that's resonating so much. So we have organic influencers, like women across the board wearing and promoting Argent without us really having any sort of formal relationship. It just comes from sheer desire for the product and support of the brand. We are just now formalizing our email strategy, social media, clean that up, um, looking at doing digital spin. We go back and forth on that. We actually haven't really done much there. How about influencers? Do you um, spend time with influencers um, getting them on board or? No, we don't. Um, we've just been fortunate to have people like Hillary Clinton is just super fans, you know, um, yes. Kamala Harris. It's the best influencer. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And then women in Hollywood, same thing. Amy Poehler, Aquafina, um, women that are just wearing and rewearing the brand. And then events have actually been really successful for, my, for us. So popping up at women's conferences, popping up on corporate campuses. Um, and then we're looking to do a couple of things next year, which I'm really excited about. Very cool. So how do you measure Argent's success? A lot of different ways. I think now we've took on venture funding in 2018. So it's a little bit more data-driven. It's revenue numbers. It's customer acquisition cost and lifetime value and just our footprint at large. Uh, and I think I operate a bit more off of gut than most entrepreneurs too. So I look at brand and um, the evolution of brand, how it's resonating, what our impact looks like, um, what influencers were attracting. So I think I look at a lot of things that are more gut to support that. And have your goals shifted at all since you've started Argent? Or do you feel like you're still kind of on track from that original kind of mission that you've put out to, 
to accomplish? Uh, I would say we're on track. I love that. (laughs) So um, what about the company keeps you up at night most? everything (laughs) part of being an entrepreneur oh it's impossible I mean it's a different thing every night it used to be money or early on I think for every entrepreneur money is really the lifeblood of your company and not knowing where that next investment dollar is going to come from if you're even going to get it if you're going to be able to bring this concept to life like that really really stresses you out can you pay your team Um, now it's product related issues manufacturing relationships employee-related issues, yeah. pipelining the right talent, making sure that we have the- So many issues. There's so many. I mean, there are a million things. Yep. What would you say your greatest strength is and what is your greatest weakness? <laughs> uh, greatest strength is networking, vision, strategy. Okay. Greatest weakness, I'm not great at like administrative tasks. So- Legal documents, like my my lawyer will kill me. Like I'll just sign things, but cool, sure. <laughs> um, I have a lot. There are a lot of little little one off tasks that I'm just not great at. Do you play an active role in actually designing clothes? No, you don't. So you have a like kind of a lead designer or a head designer. Yeah. So I think one of the most important things in building a business is understanding what you know and what you don't know. So I know business. I if I designed the clothes, no one would want to wear them and we'd look like, you know, it'd be a bunch of black shift dress or something. We have always prided ourselves on having designer, like a design team with backgrounds in luxury fashion. Mm-hmm. Argent was unique in that we are so close to the customer. And a lot of them have designed for the working woman in the past, but their direction has come from a merchant. Right. And so it's designed this pencil skirt and it has to be gray or design this shift dress, you know, but there isn't a lot of creative liberty there. And it's been really, really inspiring to watch these individuals connect with our customers and see the gap that's there and be able to solve for it. And it's become really personal for them. And so it's special for them to dress the CEO of the Bill Melinda Gates Foundation, to meet the founder and you know, founder of TaskRabbit, to dress celebrities. Um, but I think but I think it's more the powerhouse women. So like Huma Abedin stopped in and, you know, to get to dress her. Uh, and so I think for them, like under understanding how underserved this market has been and to be part of that solution uh, has been special and also added a level of passion for them yes very talented group of individuals they own the design process they own color palette and um, really pushing the boundaries for this woman and we've successfully done that which we pride ourselves on i don't think people realize um how much the merchants and the retailers sometimes dictate what it is that um you know brands have to do so it's really kind of nice that you've kind of cut that piece out of it and you get to really hear the voice of who's buying your product and design for their needs. It makes it so much more fun. I bet. I think this is a great also um, learning moment. You know, you don't have to be an expert in um, being a fashion designer to start a fashion brand. You know, a lot of people think, well, I don't know how to design clothes or I don't know how to make that, so I can't start a company. So if you're if you're passionate about the mission and what the, you know, what it is the brand is trying to accomplish, that's really what matters because you can always kind of hire the skill sets to support what it is that you're trying to do. 100%. And I'm the voice of the consumer. Like we have, we actually just had our spring design review yesterday. Um, and I'm looking at it from a business perspective and from a customer perspective and what I think will work and what won't work, but they push back on me a lot of times. And sometimes those are our most successful products. And so I think that you have to really, really be completely understanding of what your gaps are, your personal gaps and blind spots, you know? Yeah, so important. Okay, so 
if someone is not familiar with your brand and um, they come to your website, what is like the one must-have piece that everybody has to have? Uh, you can't ask me that. This is like anytime anyone shops with me, everything's my favorite. You'll quickly find out. Um, it depends. So some women are looking for like a black staple blazer. We have that. That's mm-hmm. our black crossover blazer. Right. Some women are looking for color because they have so much black and navy. Like me, yes. And that depends on your appetite for color. So like for you, I would put like electric pink or coral or red. Right. Um, so it, it just depends on the person. So it's hard to answer because it's very person specific. Beautiful. And what actionable advice would you give for someone younger who's looking to possibly start um, a brand, maybe a clothing brand or any other brand? Like what's the one thing you would tell them to do? I think the most important thing is to have a vision of what you want to build and it's unwavering. Like you have to be slightly delusional in, in whatever it is that you're going after and it has to mean everything to you and like nothing can stop you. If you don't have that, and I've seen so many people, it's like weird to me, but I've seen so many people that have tried to start companies that just aren't, they don't even have conviction in, in what they're building. Right. So I think it all really boils down to that. And if you have that, you'll make it happen. Beautiful. Awesome. Well, I think we've covered everything. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. I feel like I've learned a lot about you. Um, you know, my biggest takeaway is really how important it is, you know, to your point that you just made to have a passion and a mission. And it doesn't always mean that you, you know, have to be an expert at the thing it is that you're selling or making. It's just more about the purpose and what it means to the audience um, who's going to care about it. So I hope everyone listening understands the importance of that. And thank you so, so much for your time today and for the amazing company that you've built and continue to build. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. Yes. Yes.